Art Studios, in association with Playtone Records, proudly presents... Tom Hanks Giving, right here every Tuesday. Tom Hanks Giving, come on and press play. There's Elvis, the host with the most, yada 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 yada. With a different guest each week, they're the smart ones. Each episode's a new movie, about Tom Hanks, the man himself, of course. It's time for Tom Hanks Giving. It's the best you can get. It's the rootinest tootinest podcast on the internet. Tom Hanks Giving. Howdy, partner, and welcome to Tom Hanks Giving, the teen sensation podcast you try and try to forget, but it's just so hard to do. I'm your host, Elvis Kunish, and today, That Thing You Do. 1996, written and directed by Tom Hanks, his first feature film. Uh, we're joined in the studio today by Mr. Brian Dressel. Hi. I love that you call this a studio. <laughs> Shh. They don't know. Splot Studios exists. Yes, it's they true. don't know it's not a studio. <laughs> How's it going? It's going well. It's going very well. Fantastic. I got to watch a lot of movies this week. What movies did you watch? Uh, well, I'm doing, on my podcast, I'm doing a battle episode, which means I have to watch all of those movies. Oh, and yes, And this yes. movie as well. So that was... Six movies I've had to watch this week, and this one was clearly the best. Well, of course, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I did have to watch um, The Great Escape last night, so trying to compare anything to The Great Escape is a little tough. Ooh, yeah. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Although that was my first time ever watching it beginning to end, and I have to say I'm not a that big fan, which is probably blasphemy. But I think I, I've only seen it beginning to end in uh, film school. Yeah, it was just for me. It's just, I don't like the the score is so iconic, and it totally goes against what's happening on screen, and then. I get annoyed. Well, here's a movie where the score, or at least the soundtrack, totally goes on. Oh, yeah. Everything on, score-wise is perfect in this. It's brilliant. <laughs> um, and uh, so what, I mean, we, we talked about this long ago because I knew I wanted to bring you on. It's yeah. just been forever. Uh, but that thing you do was one of the ones you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Absolutely wanted. What, what about this movie made um, you choose it? No, this came out in 96, right? Along with uh, everything else that came out in 96? Yeah, this was um, right after... Like, he had just become the biggest thing ever, right after Forrest Gump right, and okay. Apollo 13 and yeah. Toy Story. That's what I thought. So, uh, when Forrest Gump came out, I declared Tom Hanks as the greatest actor ever as a child. I was 10 years old, so what did I know? But I was probably right. You beat me to uh, the punch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, like, it was to the point where I was obsessed with anything he was going to be in... And this was around 10 is when I started learning like what the directors actually did and how big directors were. And my dad told me that Tom Hanks was directing a movie. And that suddenly became like my end-all be-all of I need to see that movie immediately. <laughs> and as a 10-year-old, being the one kid in the theater is like, I need to see that thing you do! It was a little <laughs> weird. But uh, I loved it. And I, I made everyone go see it. I made my friends go see it. And I was still really the only one who wanted to see it. <laughs> but I was obsessed with this movie because I love Tom Hanks so much and because this was like his passion project. It's perhaps the most... Yeah, I want to get into that. Is this the Hanksiest movie ever because it's his vision? I think so. I mean, if you look at it... Sorry for all the noise of the watch getting taken off. Um, if you look at it, it's just so, like... It is, like, clearly his baby. Like, everything about it. Like, it didn't look like... I don't even know. Who's the studio behind this? Is it, uh, uh, this is Playtone. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what does it say? Uh, uh, I think it's Sony? Oh, it's Fox. Fox. Oh, it's, that's right. Yeah, they yeah. have the big Star Wars yeah. intro. And it's clear that, like, Fox didn't give him a lot of money for it. Like, it was very, like, he put a whole cast of nobodies higher than himself in the movie. Was Liv Tyler was someone at this point, though? Kinda. Not well, really. She was somebody because she's She was Steven someone's Tyler's, daughter. Yeah. Okay. But as an actress, you look at, like, all of her big roles came after this. 
like Armageddon. That makes and, sense. Yeah, like, yeah, they're all like after this, and so she was kind of the draw. I mean, that's even if you look at the box art here, she's the <coughs> only one who can even really see her face. Well, but, it's actually Tom Hanks is even bigger. Well, yeah, I'm and not he's bare, him. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy how he's. Such a minor. Well, he's not a minor character, but, but compared comes to in the rest in like of the cast, act two, right? Yeah, he's yeah. in the. He's certainly maybe a third of the movie. He shows up. Yeah, and uh, but he's important after that. But he's important, oh, yeah. kind of like the the wise old guy in the corner who just kind of says everything that's. Going he's to happen. he's Master Splinter. Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, this is a complete corollary for the Ninja Turtles. Yeah. <laughs> If instead <laughs> I never of, thought about it like that, but yeah, it can work. Oh, I have a whole thing. I want to get into that. Let's save that for, for a little later. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I guess you're right. And even like the cameos, like obviously Rita Wilson's in this, but yeah. she did it for free or cl- as close to free, obviously. Yeah. Uh, his two two of his kids are in it um, for like a second for half a beat, yeah. Uh, which I didn't even notice. I no, I did. I don't know how many times I've seen this movie. And Chewy, my wife, is the one who pointed out, like, oh, it's Colin Hanks. <laughs> I'm like. There he goes. <laughs> so actually, you said uh, Chewie saw this movie the first time when you rewatched it. Yeah, yeah, she had never seen it before. It's one of those ones where she'd always kind of, uh, you know, like when you've assumed you've seen a movie. Yeah. And it's like, well, I've seen that. And then Through like, pop culture as well. Yeah, says, and then and you sit down and watch like, I've never seen this. Uh, what did she think for the first timer? Uh, she liked it. Uh, she really related it kind of um, to what I was talking about before we started recording, like the whole modern musical thing. It was kind of mm-hmm. like it did that before that was really a thing, where like it was a musical and everything's important to the story, and they're playing it. Um, I'm always forgetting the word. Starts with the D. Diegetically, there it is. Yes, um, <laughs> and they're playing it all like that, but it's still like it's all very musical oriented. So mm-hmm. she thought it was kind of cool that he was doing this way before. It became like the popular thing to do. Yeah, and there's not too many variations of songs in the movie, but they do no. get some. St- and yeah, it totally works. And the the like the songs are great. I bought the soundtrack immediately. Like, Absolutely, yeah, me too. Like, I I rebought the main song today. <laughs> it's it's fantastic. It's it still plays so on the radio good. Now and then. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I, I mean, I never oh. listen to the radio. You don't have one of those things? No, I don't. I, I know they they come in cars sometimes. They do. Yep, yep. Cars but, usually uh, come standard with the radio. I miss. I don't think I've got that on my. I, I, at least I don't know how to use <laughs> it. It was stolen. Out of the car. <laughs> uh, it was a cheap car. Fair enough. Um, but. Uh, yeah, uh, let's talk about that thing you do, the song, the title track. It's a good song. It's so damn catchy. I, you probably noticed I was doing the drum yep. as you were getting in and in the bathroom. and just, yep. I, I've been doing it all day, and it's so catchy. It's Yeah, it's a really surprisingly good song for what was... Uh, did you look up who wrote it? It was uh, I did Adam Schleiser. It's the dude from uh, Fountains of Wayne. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it's like, oh, they're a good band. Kind of makes sense that he helped. I don't know. I lo- It's weird because like you figure you don't want to hear the same song over and over and over again. This, yeah. but I never get tired of the song in the movie. No, well, I think they do a good job. Where you never, I think you only hear it from beginning to end once or twice. I think it's because tw- I think you hear the first time all the way through at the talent show. Well, it's uh, you can, but it's evolving. Of, yeah, that which is interesting. It up the first time, yeah. the, the, I think then the only time you hear it all the way through is the TV show performance at the end. Well, the, I think you hear the whole thing when it's on the radio. But again, it's kind of different because oh yeah, yeah. Every time they play that's it. True, so that's three and maybe yeah, four times with the montage at the middle. Do they play the whole thing in the montage? Or I, think, th- they I think it's it's well they because they go through they're performing it in, uh, on stage and then they're on the bus and they're going right, right. it's on the radio again. Uh, it, you, maybe four times all the way through. Yeah, which I mean, granted, it's like what hour forty five. Yeah, it's a, like one hundred five minutes. It's it's, no. it's pretty. Dense. It's not. It's yeah, not long. but still, you'd think hearing the same song four times in a movie is a lot, and then you hear bits and pieces of it the whole way yeah. through too. If it was a bad song, the movie would have completely bombed. Yeah, it actually plays eleven times within with the snippets included. Wow. 
Um, <laughs> That's a lot for one song. Yeah, but it's you're right. It had to be like this good of a song. Yeah, absolutely. Otherwise, any other song you throw in, and who wants to watch this movie? Even if it's it is a good movie around the music, but yeah, it would have been a it was a tricky thing that they pulled off, and they did a really good job with it. And the the thing that I really like about the song, although when you listen to the album, like they have their other songs aren't bad, but you can totally understand, especially given the whole tone of the movie, that they would have been a one hit wonder. Yeah. I, I I had this interesting arc this time watching it because I felt like every time like they were playing a different song, he's like, oh, I wish they were playing that thing you did. I was like, oh, shit, I've become the audience yep. of the movie. I am like subjugating them to be forced to do this one thing and not move on. Yep. I, I am the guy who buys McDonald's now. <laughs> and, I, and I felt kind of bad. I mean, the one-hit wonders, they exist. They are a real thing. So I like that... Uh, I mean, kind of not just talking about the song, but I, I love that he made a movie that looks like it's going to be about, like, that hit band. Like, it looks like they're he's trying to make, like, a, the Monkees or the Beatles. Like yeah, well, a, yeah, there's so many parallels to the yeah. Beatles in the movie. I mean, they bring it up, I don't know, three, four times. Yeah. Uh, but it, like, it clearly looks like that's what they were advertising it as. And then when you watch the movie, it's a much more honest portrayal of what very easily could happen with a band like this, which is just, it didn't work. Yeah, you had one great song yep. everybody loves, but uh, you just didn't have that staying power, that yep. follow-through. And for them, it, I, it's it, again talking more about the movie as a whole. I wonder if if it wasn't for Jimmy, if they would have stayed together, like if they would have just replaced the guy who disappeared. If um, what's his name, Steve Zahn had come back. Oh yeah, because kept going. Like, right, because Jimmy's the talent. Is yeah. how Tom Hanks calls him out in the in the end. Well, yeah, and it'd be interesting <clears throat> if he hadn't been such a stick in the mud. If they would have just kept moving, if he just had to be such a. Well, yeah, I always find that interesting because, uh, and then this is going to frame a larger conversation where it's like, why, because you have four band members, and five if you include Liv Tyler's kind of sure. cursor uh, or satellite character. Yep. Um, you, there's different, I think there's at least five different versions of this movie. You could focus on anyone, maybe not the bat, the bass player because he's specifically like this mysterious character. Yeah. Who we never even know his name. Um, but you could see this movie from Jimmy's point of view, from mm-hmm. Guy's point of view, from uh, Faye's point of view, and uh, from Steve Zahn's point of view. Mm-hmm. Why is this Guy's movie? Because like he's almost the leader in a weird way. Because every time the manager shows up when he meets Mr. White, they always go to Guy first. It seems. It seems to me like it's the main reason why it's his story is because he's the most bland. And I don't mean that to sound mean to Tom Everett Scott or really anybody in there, but he's like that most bland, like palatable character. He certainly, yeah, he certainly is kind of your everyman, your quintessential Tom Hanks role, actually. Yeah, exactly. Um, but but in terms of like this, st- like why is. Like, is it just for the convention of the audience or the yeah, concession of the audience that we're going to the, him? Because it's, it's Jimmy's band, right? Totally Jimmy's band. And it's Jimmy's song. And the only thing, the only reason why they, it's just one of those things where it's like, it's his movie because he's the most palatable. He's, when everyone's sitting in the audience, they can immediately relate to him. But then it's even more his movie because without him changing the tempo of the song yeah. and making it better, they never went anywhere. Exactly. So it's kind of it's. I like how they're both completely important. Oh, absolutely. And if it wasn't for his one spark at the moment and that one kid breaking his arm, <laughs> out of the, the just the weirdest coincidence at the beginning of a movie, it's like this is how we're starting. All right. Giovanni <laughs> Ribisi is just plummeting into his. <laughs> and he has like such a sad but kind of wholesome, like humble, of uh, continued story just, oh, like, yeah. in the background. I love that. I like that in the end of the movie, he's watching them on TV with Guy's family. Yeah, <laughs> he just he kind of becomes a replacement <laughs> yeah, son. Totally. 
It's um, awesome. It's it's delightful, yeah, because you feel like he could be really bitter, but he seems like he's kind of into it. Well, for it's one of those things where I would hope that he just wrote a decent human being for a character, because that's kind of what it seems like, where he knows that if he stayed in the band, they didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Because he was going to play the song slow like Jimmy wanted. That's true, yeah. yeah. It had to be it had to be Guy for, for yes. this to take off. So that makes sense for... But uh, I always did, like, watching it this time, it was like, why is... It, it's I guess it's just that concession that they keep going to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, he works, like, because he's the most palatable character. Do you think there's an interesting story that we get through his point of view and this kind of bleeds into the whole love triangle thing i think well the love triangle for me is really the only thing in the movie that doesn't work i think i agree with you it's so pleasant like i'm fine with it yeah but it's it's totally it's serviceable it's there it's like oh that's cute they end up together at the end but if that wasn't there it's like what did the movie lose yeah and and because it's the end of the movie, it feels like it has more significance than I think it's supposed to. Yeah, because it really just kind of feels like, uh, oh, you're here. <laughs> we, I mean, do you think that becomes... Is that a fundamental problem with Faye as a character? Totally. Because she seems a little... Not to use the overused term, but uh, manic pixie. Okay. Uh, do you get that, or is there enough of a personality there? It's she definitely. Ha- it's one of those things where like I feel. I mean, Tom Hanks wrote this, right? Yeah. I feel like there was a draft in there where she had a lot more because she's definitely a full fledged character, but it feels like there was just like cuts, like nips and tucks throughout the whole thing where it just kind of felt like she was in it less and less. Because like you can kind of see there's like motivation for each one of her decisions, especially for the whole speech at the end, and it's yeah. like you can see that there was something there, and it just it doesn't feel like it's Liv Tyler's fault. It just kind of feels either there are scenes that were cut or there are scenes that were cut out of the script that just kind of trimmed it back a little bit. Let me take that back. I, 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 yeah, I misspoke when I said Manic Pixie because she. you're right. She does yeah. have a whole psychology. She has her own yeah. character. Um, she has her own choices. I think the problem I have is, going back to the love story, I never see, like, it seems very forced when they do have, not that they don't have chemistry, but it's like, oh, this is a thing now. Yeah, like, it, halfway through the, like, at the beginning of the movie, a guy doesn't seem to pay her any mind. She makes sure... And he's dating Charlize Theron. Yeah. Well, who would date, who would pay attention to anyone <laughs> else in the world if you're dating Charlize Theron? True. She is kind <laughs> of Theron. a stick in the mud, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah she sucks, too, but it's, um, still, it's her. Yeah. He won well, the game in the beginning <laughs> of the movie. Right, but yeah, so, so it makes sense. But, like, textually, there's no, like, he's not paying attention to her. There's only one thing in that very first scene where they first meet where... Uh, Liv Tyler says, like, enjoy your breakfast to him. Like, yeah. I guess they know each other, and she makes sure... Like, so it's maybe she's kind of into him, but she's definitely into Jimmy the whole time. It's one of those things where I wonder if it'd be in, if it would have been more acceptable if Steve Zahn wasn't the point person to get him into the band. Mm-hmm. If it was, like, Liv Tyler's like, oh, I know a guy. He's a great guy. Oh, He's yeah, a drummer. Yeah. And, like, it's that one little switch if you're like, oh, I buy the relationship a little bit more. Yeah, because like, they, they have, yeah. yeah. Which, which... I think would make sense. I kind of, I do think I prefer it to be Steve Zahn. It, well, I'll just give him more parts of everything. So yeah. Like, more him on the screen, I'm sold. This is like the best Steve Zahn performance. Oh, wait, well, I can make a strong argument for Saving Silverman, but it's a crappy movie, so it'd be... That, that's, yeah, that's a, <laughs> I, I've, I've been there before, especially with Tom Hanks in a few situations. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, this, this Steve Zahn is so delightful. Uh, and, and, but before we dive into him, yeah. just to finish up this whole lift time. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, she, I think it's mostly that, and, and it's like halfway through the movie when they're on the plane, that's the first time it seems like Guy's giving her the attention when she's sick and like yeah. puts it, like, where is this But that doesn't from? feel like, that still doesn't feel like romantic. It just feels like he's the one in the band who isn't either completely obsessed with himself 
or just aloof. Like That's true. Susanna. So it's he, just like he's a decent human being. It's not aggressively or, assert, or even assertively flirting or anything. Yeah. It's like, yeah, he's the nice guy. But I, maybe that's the problem is like, even though he would do that, it's like, where, when does this become romantic? At the end. Just when the he, yeah, it's really at the end when he goes into Sears. <laughs> Which is like the weirdest thing because like she's been in a two and a half year relationship with this guy. Yeah. There, there's no way this is going to work out despite what the epilogue tells us. Yeah, well, I mean, the epilogue kind of tells everything where he was a he had a career as a drummer and then he left to go teach school. Like clearly the, that sounds like a very pleasant sentence, mm-hmm. but there was some drama there. There's yeah. a, we're getting the fuck out of L.A. This is going to be a problem. That's... <laughs> So he left to save his marriage is what I'm saying. That, I'm inferring yeah. the end there. <laughs> that, I guess that's a good point. And it's like it, it really comes through that Jimmy is the talented one. He's the only one who did anything artistically speaking. He was he did three he, more records with the, the, the Herdsman, yeah. his, yeah. his band. Again uh, for Playtime, though, which I thought was funny that he went back to the people that he hated. Well, it, may, it speaks to me like it, it's such a Hollywood thing because uh, it, even though he had that horrible out uh, or falling out with Mr. White. Yeah. It seems like Mr. White be like, we have this kid's talented. Yeah. It's business. Let's yeah. go back to I it. I hate him, but he'll make us money. Exactly. Yeah. Which seems very appropriate to his character. Oh, yeah. Uh, who's your favorite member of the band? I mean, it's got to be Steve Zahn. It's Lenny. He's, Lenny is fantastic. He's, he's just so good. He's just, he's the Michelangelo, if you will. He I'm is. I'm sure you will. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's a party dude. He is. And he's just, he's, uh, He's one of those guys where he's charming, he's funny, and you never feel like he's uh, like he's holding the band back. It's not like one of those guys like, well, he's funny, so we keep him around. Like he never feels like he actually feels like he has a place there. Like, yeah, he's 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 the glue. He's the heart of the band. Exactly. Yeah, um, and he, I think he's the guy who makes everybody like happy to be there. Because mm-hmm. Jimmy, he's like, ugh, he's he's got to be tense even when it's a good time. Yeah, I. Ugh. And and. Uh, uh, What's his fucking name? Guy, guy's easy going enough. Yeah, but yeah, you're there for Steve's on. He like the, the his face when he discovers that the change in tempo is the best thing for the band and everybody's into it is oh, so delightful. He's he lights up the screen and like it's one of those things. Like I don't know what he did before this. I think he had like one or two roles in like in a TV show. So I really it's one of those things to be like a fly on the wall in his audition. Like oh this guy's perfect. Yeah, <laughs> like he just nails everything in that character. Yeah, I think if the movie was, if this was his movie, it would be plagued with like, oh, he's the fuck up too. It's not yeah. just he's the goofy yeah. one. Which is, again, it kind of annoys me how little Tom Hanks directs and writes, because clearly he can do it. Unless this is just one of those things that he'd been slaving over his entire life. Yeah, apparently, uh, from what I read on uh, IMDb Trivia, he's he was writing this on Forrest Gump promo interviews, like during that tour, that tour for the promotion, because it was so boring. <laughs> So it doesn't seem like I mean maybe the idea was in there forever, but yeah. uh, but it's one of those because like, clearly he can write a very very solid movie because this is it specifically with Steve Zahn's character you can make that a very easy just kind of like well he's a dope and we don't need him mm-hmm. maybe we'll have to lose him at some point because he's not talented enough and they never do that like he, he's just he's no, there, I, he's I, funny I, and he's a really and he doesn't feel like a two dimensional just kind of like joke character he's his own person to Tom Hanks' strength as a writer and as a director I think he really focuses on character and actors because yeah. everybody nobody in this movie I think gives a bad performance no. from the bit players to the, the leads everybody's really strong and really well cast yeah, and even down to the guy who's like their fan. To where now, whenever I see that guy show up, I'm like, oh, it's the fan from that thing you do. Yeah, who's got a more memorable character than the bass player yeah. <laughs> who just disappears? Yeah, no, everybody's really great. Uh, 
and has a good hold on a character. And everybody has like a like when Steve Zahn does disappear, it's because it's completely out of his character. He's the guy who his fault is that he's been single this yeah. whole time. He finally finds somebody and he goes way too fast, oh, way too far in. The, clearly, this will never work. No, <laughs> which it doesn't. Yeah, yeah of course, because <laughs> it's like oh, you got married because you're in a band. She yeah. married you because you were just on that show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, who played the bassist? You keep mentioning him. Uh, uh, Ethan, Ethan Embry. Embry. Yes. Oh, I love Ethan Embry. I don't... I, like, all these people have had uh, lots of work. They're still yeah. working. I just haven't recognized them from a lot of things. They're on a lot of TV shows or bit parts or guest stars. Well, the guy who played Jimmy was just on Legends of Tomorrow's Jonah Hex, and he was awesome. That's it's a, fantastic. It's a very different role for him compared to this, but he was awesome on that. And the... Ethan Embry, I don't know what he's done recently, but like back in the day, he was in Can't Hardly Wait, and he was great in that. Like, oh, that's fantastic! Yeah, he's an awesome, like awesome actor. It's just kind of sad not to see him currently. I'm sure he's still doing. Something. Yeah, and I think Tom Everett Scott. I think the last, not notable, but the thing I not recognize because I didn't watch it, but he was in the Scream TV show. I he think was the main a, character. I, I saw the first episode. wasn't a fan. Yeah, uh, but he's working. That's the important thing. He has a job. What did you think of uh, the young Tom of, of the movie, Tom Everett Scott, Tom his Everett performance? Scott. This was his, uh, I believe, his first role or first major role. This, yeah, he was um, in like one tiny thing before yeah, this. Um, which he might have actually done, like recorded after this, and it just came out. Yeah, before exactly. One of those situations. Um, I think he was really good. I don't understand why his career didn't take off more. Like, it's got to be one of those things to have, like, to be vouched for by Tom Hanks. I think should carry some <clears> weight. Uh, and instead, he just went and did an American Wolf in Paris. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> it's like I don't understand. The jump, because I don't think he was bad. I actually think he was pretty good in this movie. He no, was really I, good in this. Yeah, I thought he was good in Dead Man on Campus. He's very humanizing. He's great. Yeah. He's much like the movie itself, or the song itself. He's like he's very easy to listen to. He's, yeah. He's, he's great to watch. Uh, do you think it's because Colin Hanks became a thing? It could be. Because I mean, there's a version of this movie where Colin Hanks could have played... He had to wait a couple years. But yeah, then, yeah, he was a little too young, and then you couldn't have Tom Hanks play Mr. White. Yeah. Which is, I mean, I, I'm glad that it wasn't Colin, but do you, do you have any idea? Like, because he's very much in that Hank's fold. Yeah, I could see that. But, I mean, the the long and the short of it is, I mean, as much as I like Colin Hanks for the stuff he is, for the stuff he's in, I think Tom Everett Scott was a better choice for this thing. Just, oh, absolutely. It's one of those things. Absolutely. I, I, just, I don't know how castable he is to sound like a complete asshole. Um because I don't know if he was more castable, we'd see him more. Because he's not an untalented actor. No. Clearly, he was really good in this. But then he just didn't really do anything else. He was in Boiler Room for all of, like, 15 minutes, but he was fantastic in it. So I really liked him in this. He really, like, it's kind of like the song. If he wasn't good in this, the movie fell apart. Yeah. Because he is, like, the linchpin for the whole thing. The second you lose him, the movie just starts kind of falling apart of the wayside. Because if you have only Jimmy, Jimmy's a complete asshole. Like, I don't want to watch him. No, no. And, and like, I think it's to Jonathan, what's his last, Shake, Shake, Shake? Jonah Hex's character. Thank you. <laughs> Jonah Hex. Yeah, that works much better. Uh, <laughs> like, he, he plays it well enough that, like, I, I do like him. and not, not like him, but, like, he's compelling enough to watch. But, yeah. uh, like, that could go that it could have gone so wrong easily. But you're right. If, without uh, Tom Everett Scott being such a good access point. Yeah. Uh, he's the Luke Skywalker, to give him way too much credit. But that, it's one of those things where it's like, he's just such an everyman that every man feels that like he can be. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of Charlize Theron? <laughs> I mean, I love her in Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> She's amazing in yeah. Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, not in this. Eh. She, well, she, yeah. I think actually, if there's one 
the closest thing to a bad performance. Yeah. And it's more, I think, it's because it's poorly written. Yeah, totally. Because it's one of the... Like, <laughs> I watched this with a really good friend of mine, and almost after every single line that she said, he's Academy Award nominated. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... Uh... I, yeah, I think she's the closest thing to a bad performance. I, and I think it's mostly because, like, so much of her stuff is... Well, the first scene she's in, she's, like, written so one-dimensionally, like... Yeah. I just don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. She gets when she's in the car and a couple other scenes. It's like, oh, she's actually kind of into it, but she just doesn't have any interest in the band. Yeah. She's into into that her. It feels like she's into a uh, guy actually having a good time and doing something with his yeah. life. But then, like the whole dentist thing, like the, why did we need that scene? Because we really wanted to see her go. Hi, I'm Tina. <laughs> That's like the most flat line. It's the easiest thing to cut. You <laughs> yeah. could, you could have shot it and still cut it out of the movie. And you could have had the scene with Tom Hanks or whoever it was saying, "Yeah, oh yeah, she left him for his dentist." Which yeah, yeah. Does, I mean, okay. th- I don't need to see the dentist. Sure, he's a hunky dude, but I, I didn't need it. Yeah, it doesn't make, it doesn't add anything to the movie. No. Maybe one laugh if you're into that. If you're into that, or if you really want to watch one of her worst delivered lines <laughs> in her entire career. Yeah, maybe that. Maybe he just had the foresight. It's like. This will be funny someday. Yeah, this will be a, a highlight reel at a Christmas party for someone. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. You could drop that. I mean, it doesn't. The the I think Liv Tyler actually says because it's weird. That's yeah. It's weird going back to the love story. It almost feels like Mr. White, uh, Tom Hanks' character, plays matchmaker. Oh, he totally at that, does. Because he's like, so you and Jimmy been together for two and a half years. What's the deal with a yeah. guy? And she's the one who talks about how Tina, yeah. um, Look, Charlize Theron. Yeah. Right. But it's one of it's a really weird. I don't know why he was so determined to have this love story in there because you're right. It totally feels like he's like, hey, you two should make out. And it's like, what are you doing? Why do you even care? It's weird because it has that metatextual thing too. Because it's like it's his movie and yeah. he's in the movie pushing yeah. them toward yeah. it. It's very strange. It's re- like I said, it's the only thing for me in the movie, not counting her performance, Shirley Simmons' performance, that doesn't work for me. I just I don't need it. The weirdest thing in the movie, which is. The very end, Was where it Lamar, Lamar yeah. breaks the fourth wall, just stares and what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, it was—it's one of those very classic uh, mystical black man parts. Yeah, the and magical like, Negro. Yeah, and like that's that's great that you have it, but d- why? It's it's weird because I feel like halfway through the movie, maybe I mean I guess the seeds are built there when they're still in. Uh, uh, what is it, Eden Prairie? No, uh, Pennsylvania. Right, right. <laughs> um, they're building the seeds of it there with his obsession with uh, Del Pasto? Del Pax? I'm sorry. Can't remember the... Del. Del. Good old Del. Del! Yeah. The, the, the jazz musician who... I could look it up if I wanted to. He, you guys know it. Yeah. You, you, you know Del. Del. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, you're getting a Del, Del. <laughs> um, guy's obsession with that. But, like, it's weird. It almost feels like there's this... Cause when he talks to Lamar, who's who shows up and is like this crazy, charming, yeah. mystical black man character. Yes. Uh, he's like, I want to see the good jazz. Oh, the good jazz, yeah. which is like, <laughs> so, which is complete surface text for black jazz. Yeah. <laughs> and then he goes out and he meets the the black jazz musicians, yeah. and then he actually meets his hero. And it's almost like, is this a weird? What is the racial politics of this movie? Is it... They're very strange. And it's one of those, like, we're just not going to talk about it. Yeah, and I don't think... We'll acknowledge that there's some there's some racial tension in Los Angeles, <laughs> but we're just not going to talk about it. We're going to pretend that everything's fine. 
And is it almost like saying that because because the voice of like Del shows up at the end and it's like let's just jam together? Yeah. Is it speaking like that's what true artistry is? Is like not the fame? Yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean that, that message is there like in spades. Yeah, but uh, it's something that white people don't have to ignore. Yeah, the chase for fame. I mean the 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 only problem I have with that scene is I really want to hear the rest of that song. Yeah. It was kind of cool, and then they cut away from it. Well, that's the thing. Like, you could have had that be the end of the movie. Yeah. But they oh, needed man. the love story. That would be such a better ending of the movie yeah. than, than going back to make out Liv Tyler. I mean, not, like, who, I mean, don't blame you, but. No, yeah, it's sure. But it doesn't but, I mean, really, I, no. That's not really I, the story. I will blame him. I would never have made out with her after that horribly long speech about kisses. So, I'm not going near her. <laughs> she is way too obsessed with kissing. I'm good. That's like a three-minute speech. It is a it's a weird speech to give in front of people. Yes, <laughs> like if you're gonna do it, like I, I I kind of admire you for having that much to say because this guy's been a douche to you. Yeah, it took her long enough. I but, can see how it's been building for a while. I mean, she just kind of wants to humiliate him, which again, he's humiliated her. A I get of times, it. So I that get works. it. But it is a very intense speech to say in front of people. It is, and if you were to play a drinking game with it, where you drink every time she says "kiss," you'll be dead at the end of it. Yeah. She says kiss so many times in that thing. Do you think Tom Hanks has a thing with kissing? I think so. <laughs> I think that speech is kind of clarifying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so many kisses wasted, though. Yeah. And, well, I don't know. When you parse out the song, it's Jimmy's song, mm-hmm. but he, it's a hollow song for him. He doesn't really mean anything by it is what we get from her speech. Yes. If you think of the song from Guy's point of view, is he? Is it... About him watching Liv Tyler be with Jimmy? Is that what we're supposed to get, even though the connection's kind of fumbled? I mean, maybe? I, or I, is it, it could be one of those, like, pleasant, like, like when you're in film school and, like, is this what you intended with the movie? Uh, yeah. Yeah, happy accident. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I, I can see it being enough there, but, like, it still doesn't do the work of the movie. Like, this right. isn't a love story. No. And not that you have to have your movie be a love story to end, for people to end up together. But, but maybe you did in 96? Maybe. Maybe it was the 90s. They just Maybe Fox told them you can't market it without a love story, so that, shove it in there. That's possible. Yeah. Um, although I don't think you needed them to get together for it to be... Like, you could have had everything else and then just that changed. Yeah. And again, we're not telling a story about real people, so... Yeah. Although they do a really good job making it feel like they're real people. Yeah. Which is a credit to the to both the Tom right Hanks and Tom Hanks. And I guess the cast. <laughs> the cast. Uh, this was the the major thing in the movie, if I could talk story moment, if you don't mind. Please. Um, the thing for me that really kind of burns me is, like, as somebody who likes to create things, uh, like I've made a number of short films, I've made a web series, that sort of stuff, you always kind of have, like, you're going to side with the artist a little bit. Yeah. So you kind of side with Jimmy. He's being a total dick about everything, so it's kind of like, you need to calm down. But at the end of the day, it is kind of nice to know that he was right. Their contract sucked. It did, yeah. And like, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, you don't have to be such a dick about it, but it's really, it's almost reaffirming as for somebody who wants to create these things, like, yeah, read your contracts. Cause, so he's been begging the whole movie that he wants to go in and record new music, which is awesome, especially for like a new and upcoming band. A lot of like younger bands, if you listen to like modern music or even old music, they get their like, few songs that are like, let's just play these to death, and if we have to write something else, I guess we'll try. Yeah. And the really great ones constantly come out with more music. And that's what he wants to do. And when he finally gets in the studio, he's like, cover these other Playtone songs. Yeah, which is terrifying. It is a shitty contract. And like coming in from that artistic point of view, it's like, 
the most terrifying thing where he's like getting successful. It's like, what's yeah. the next thing? Like, I love that he's chasing that. It's like, he knows yeah. maybe it won't be as good, but he's got to make something new before this falls apart, which yeah. very quickly does. So it's one of, like, if he was a nicer guy about it, I would be on his side the whole way through the movie. I think you're, but that, that kind of speaks to the whole, like, almost the whiplash mentality where it's yeah. like, if, and, and a sad thing that I, is almost true 100% of the time in real life, the more of an asshole and selfish douche you are, yeah. it, talent is kind of, maybe not talent, but success is. Yeah. You're willing to take the world by the horns yeah. a little bit more and that's aggressively. Like I, like, I appreciate the honesty, but it's always kind of a, a bummer. That's why yeah. like I, I gravitate so much toward Tom Hanks, because yeah. for all all the possible knowledge in the world, he is as wonderful a guy as he could be. Exactly, yeah. And he's the most talented guy. Which is, it's such a rarity. Yeah, that's that's why he deserves his own podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Like, there's so much of me that agrees with Jimmy. Yeah, like, he was, it's one of those things where I kind of wish that he had said something earlier, because like, he, he said it really dumb in the beginning in the camper. He was like, oh, I'm hesitant to sign anything that pertains to my music. It's like, well, then you're not going to be successful. Like, you have to sign something pertaining to your music. But, dude, are you crazy? A man in a very nice camper wants to put our song on the radio. The best line in the movie. Give me a pen. We're all signing. I love that it's Steve Zahn who gets them to sign. Oh, but he's not wrong. Like, that first contract, definitely sign it. The one with Playtone, time to hire a lawyer. Yeah, exactly. Like, when you're, hiring, when you're signing with a dune in a van who's giving you stew just to play the song on the radio... Sign it. You're going to be fine. When you're signing with the ultimate record label, yeah, hire a lawyer. Yeah. Because the lawyer will go, no, their second album will be nothing but covers and Spanish covers of their own songs because that's stupid. Yeah. And uh, I have narrowly escaped, but I've, I've had some friends who have had similar contracts that have been a oh, big yeah. bummer. Yeah, I have one friend who quit the film industry because of he got locked in contracts. And he's like, I'm done with this. I'm not doing this. Yeah. And so it's a real thing. And I, li- I like that uh, maybe this movie isn't... S- to like the biggest, widest audience, but for specific few, it's oh yeah, this can pull some heartstrings for not just the romantics out there. Like it's like oh, this is too real. Yeah, maybe that's why they needed the, the yeah. shoot <laughs> love story. Not because it's too real, but just because like that's another thing they can grab onto. Yeah. Um, to jump back to kind of this story and how specific it gets, uh, I want to mention friend of the show, uh, former guest of the show, and on your show as well, Elliot Campos. He's going to be on my show this weekend. That's fantastic. Yeah. So don't forget to listen to that. We'll no. do the main plugs at the end. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I'm not here to plug. <laughs> We're here to Hanks. I'm here to talk about Tom Hanks. <laughs> um, but uh, he, when he last time we, we watched this movie, uh, he mentioned that he, he likes it. He's kind of shitting on the movie. But uh, as Elliot, Elliot does. no way. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he, he mentions that once they hear the song on the radio, he's like, I'm kind of over it. Which... <laughs> Is insane, but I That's think like one of the greatest scenes in any music movie ever. No, no, he li- he likes that scene, but everything after it oh, okay. kind of dies down for him. And I see the point, but I think it's because it's it. That's when the the problems, the tension actually rises. So it's less of a fun movie because it's less fun for the characters. Well, the thing about the movie, I mean, I feel like it's in a very neat five act structure. I could see that. The thing with the movie for me is that even when like the tension starts happening, there's really not a lot of actual conflict in the movie beyond just Jimmy's a dick. Yeah. So it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I mean, tensions kind of rise, but it never really feels like 
anything's really going to turn out. You're never really f- afraid for like their well-being. It's like no, be no. The it's, whole time it's like everything will be fine. It's like it's like light on drama. There's conflict, but yeah, not yeah. drama. Yeah. Which which usually is like the death knell of a movie, but uh, it works here. It works specifically because the one time the drama comes out is with I mean, it's a terrible speech, but it's with that speech <laughs> about the relationship. So, like, when it comes out of left field and now it's suddenly serious, it feels that much more serious. Yeah. So, it's a really kind of good rug pull. Like, you feel like like you're in the room, like, oh, God, I can't talk. It's so awkward. Mm-hmm. I wish I wasn't in here. Yeah, it's all the feel-time good stuff that this this song, this movie has built up, has been building to this moment. Which, uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's weird that it doesn't come from Guy, who's oh, yeah. our main character. Uh, so I guess that that's that's a potential criticism you could have. Yeah. But I feel like that's kind of part of the infected love story, which is the main yeah. criticism. Yeah. Uh, but I I have to say, like, I think this movie moves. Like, it moves crazy fast up until what what I deem the first end of the first act is when they win the talent show because that's the first time everything has changed. They've changed yeah, the song. Yeah. He's the main character of the band. Uh, I would say the second act ends when they've gotten on the radio. Okay. Yeah. Because um, again, everything's how much, how changed. How much time is between that? They there's not there I between mean, the radio and the talent show. Yeah. There's a good because that's when we have the whole Tina subplot. Oh. Okay. Um, okay yeah. They play at the pizza place several times. That's right. when they meet the manager, the first manager. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I can um, see that. Yeah. Yeah. And then that the next thing is meeting Mr. White, and everything still moves, but that's for, that up until the radio, it does move crazy fast. Yeah, but I feel like it kind of has to. <laughs> No, no, I think it's great. Yeah, it totally I love works. that. I think the pacing of the movie is really good. It's and that's something I complain about constantly now. It's like editors now are either they're charging too much or they're not trying hard. Yeah. Because a lot of movies now, the pacing is horrible. Like, have you seen Independence Day? It's one of the worst things I've ever seen. I'm not going to see it. Unless oh, you're talking about the 90. 90- no, I'm talking the 1996 movie because every bad. movie came out in 1996. <laughs> but wow, you're right. It's insane. Look at a list. It's insane how many movies came out in 1996. Um. But no, like the the pacing of this movie is spot on. Like it's exactly what it needs mm. to be. I think at all times. This I, is maybe the best paced movie I've ever seen. <laughs> it's definitely the best pace of Tom Hanks's directed movies. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I can mention really quick that it's funny that uh, I'm going to butcher his last name. I think that Paul Feig is in the movie. Oh yeah, uh, Paul Feig. Yeah. So if Paul that Fagg is his or name. Or, Feige or I thought it was Feig. Is it Feig? Feig. Actually, it might be Feig. Feig, Feig sounds wrong. <laughs> He's uh, one of the DJs who introduces one of the songs. Ah, uh, okay. Oh, he's the one who was like, hey, we got the guys here. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, Brian Cranston shows up for like a hot second. He's, he's an he, astronaut. Yeah, he's an astronaut, yeah. I love that. And that's funny because like, it's not like a cameo where it's like, oh, we got Brian Cranston. Like, he's just this dude. It was before Brian Cranston was Brian Cranston. It was before even Tim Watley. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe maybe right around the same time, yeah. actually. But uh, I love that. Um, Let's I think one of my the one of my favorite moments in the entire movie that we have not mentioned at all is when they play a fake band in a movie. Yeah, yeah. And it's such just a great moment of like you know, I, I'm just thinking about it as somebody who's alive and well in 2016. That it's one of those things where like you'd always you would have heard the song a thousand times by now, mm-hmm. if not more. You never remember the first time you heard it, and it'd be one of those great things where like. Do you know they're in a movie? I'm like, wait, no, they weren't in a movie. And then you'd go back and you'd find that movie and you'd see them in the back. I'm like, oh, crap, there they are. It's like this great little like, Easter egg that they created for a world that does not exist. It's a perfect, yeah, fictional Easter egg. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, I love that. I love those little things. And I love the throwback to it in like the, the radio interview when they're asking, like, who's your number one influence? And he names the band from the movie. Yeah, Steve that was Dennis. great. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a, again, that's like Steve's not, he, he's, 
quote, quoted as the fool by Tom Hanks. Yeah. He's the Michelangelo of the group. Yeah. But he's not dumb. He's smart. He's clever in his own way. Oh, yeah. He's like That's what I was saying earlier. That's, he's not just like a two-dimensional, I'm going to be able to make jokes character. Like He's an actual dude. Yeah. Uh, how do we, Let's talk about the man himself. Mr. Hanks. Mr. Hanks. His performance specifically. We've kind of touched on the direction and writing. Uh, how do you feel about Mr. White? I... Again, because at the time, when like, as I mentioned in the beginning of this, when I was a kid and I saw this movie, I was watching pretty much everything I could find with Tom Hanks in it. And Tom Hanks, uh, say what you will about him, he always kind of plays, for the most part, until later on in his career, likable characters. Yes. Um, I mean, you go to the Burbs, you go to like even Bachelor Party, like you go to these things. And it's, it's Listen big. to our back catalog. Yeah. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> Those. And he, he's always like that nice, likable guy. So when this one came out and he's not that ni- nice, likable guy, it was a bit of like a, a gear change for me. It was like, oh, mm-hmm. this is kind of different. And it was the first time I saw it, I hated him because it was not the Tom Hanks that I knew and <laughs> liked. I'm like, who is this asshole? I don't like him at all. He is there for business. He is there because he's heard this song and he goes, they're going to make money. I guess you're right. And it's like, and even it's even like the power move of, uh, should we bring in the band? Just bring in the drummer. Just yeah, one guy yeah. saying that he doesn't want to deal with anybody else. Like it's just like, yeah, we'll just do this one thing. We'll get it done with, and then he's like, oh, I gotta talk to the band first, and then he gives him a compliment of like, oh, you were smart. Yeah. So even from the very get go, he's assuming that they're a bunch of idiots, and he's gonna make a quick buck off of them. I, I actually really like this yeah. Tom. Yeah, it's, I think he's great. I love him now. As a child, Trav. I hated him. <laughs> But as an adult, I'm like, no, he's very good in this movie. He's so competent. Like, yeah. Like you were saying, uh, the, they created this fictional Easter egg. He's doing that so intentionally. Oh, yeah. Getting them on the, the exact right radio shows. Like, he's not doing it for the best interest of the band, but for, like, the 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 mental headspace they take up in pop culture. Oh, and he, he does such, like, specific things to make them stand out from bands like the Beatles or the Monkees or whoever else is actually around in this universe. He's like, you're all going to wear matching suits at every at every single show. And it's mm-hmm. always going to be a different color. And I love the running gag of, you guys look great in gold. Have I told you that yet? I was going to ask, which which one do you like better, the red, gold, or black? Red. They looked great in red. Red was the uh, best. <laughs> <laughs> but like the thing, like, he's like, you're going to wear shades at all times. You're not seeing the public without wearing shades. Like, it's all these like, very cold, calculated things that are going to make them stand out from every other band. Including all the way up to, like, there's no banter. At the end of every show, you bow, you unplug, and you run off stage. Yeah. These really quirky things that, as fans, you'd go, like, why do they always do that? But you'd remember it. Yeah, he crafted such a personality for this band. Yeah. Which, like, they absolutely didn't have. No, they didn't There's no identity to the Wonders. Yeah, there's no identity to him. They didn't have it, and they didn't realize, which was so great about his character, is that he did it all, and they had no idea he was doing it. Yeah. They didn't know how helpful he actually is. Yeah, they had. Yeah, it, it's insane. It's how... still shitty that he gave him the shitty contract. But well, that's it's him all over though. Yeah, he's doing everything to make the most money possible. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And he knows that the band that has the number seven, I think, is where they end up on the charts. Yeah, uh, like the number seven song in the country, doing a cover <clears throat> album is going to sell gangbusters. So everything Mr. White does is to make money. Yeah. And apparently to get Liv Tyler and Tom Ever Scott to bang. That's weird. <laughs> That's, That's weird, still weird. It's a weird thing he threw in there. But it's totally, yeah. Unless the only thing I can think of, well, okay, if his, if we've already established he's completely all about getting money yeah. and, you know, utilizing this band. Is he foreseeing the rift between Jimmy and Faye and like, oh, we need her in the band because she's got this special something. But if she, if we can somehow break them up and send her to Guy... Will that fix the thing and keep the band going? Or is this or am I reaching here? I think you're reaching a little bit. I don't I don't think you'd go that far. Cause I think at at that point 
I honestly think that it was just Tom Hanks writing a character that would give him a soft side. I could see that, yeah. I, I think he was just trying to soften his edge a little bit, because he's a very hard-edged character. Speaking of another soft side that was cut from the movie, are you aware of the whole Dumbledore side to Mr. White? No. Because uh, he is, I, I don't know if you can say canonically gay, Okay. but he is a gay character, uh, and there was cut scenes where we got to see his boyfriend, and this is all based on uh, the Beatles manager who was gay. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. And that's just like an interesting bit of trivia, but like obviously it has no bearing on the movie itself. But I wonder yeah. if that was another thing where they cut it. I mean, it was the 90s, too. There was still gay panic humor yeah. all over the place. So that could have been a reason. Uh, it could have been just cut because they wanted the brilliant pacing they have. Or if it was like, oh, maybe this is too much of a soft side. Or this makes him less likable because I, of I, the t- attitudes of the time. I honestly think I'm, I'm trying to give him more credit. I mean, not that he needs it. But I, I honestly think it'd be... Either A, because of the pacing, or B, because the character. Like, the character needs to be that hard-edged, cold thing. Because it, al- it almost makes him what the band would assume is the antagonist. That's a good... Yeah, I mean, he's the the publisher? Yeah. I mean, I mean the manager. But. Yeah, but it's one of those things where maybe he keeps himself... Again, tell me now if I'm reaching. Maybe he keeps himself so, like, cold and distant to try to ease up the... I think we hate Jimmy. And then they're making, right. he's giving he, them a common enemy. He's got to play the bad guy. Yeah. Although it felt, doesn't feel like he really actively antagonizes the group, despite being just more stern, curt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. with it. So Mr. White, um, really interesting, different kind of Tom Hanks. Like he'd been a little bit of a douche in a couple previous movies. We just talked about Bachelor Party a little yeah. bit. Um, <laughs> my least favorite Hanks performance. I don't know why. That's what it just came to my head. Um, and. Uh, th- uh, volunteers, he's kind of a douche, but you, he's a lovable rogue Han Solo right. kind yeah. of douche. Uh, so this, yeah, this is a, a definite new side of him. We, we He had already started bre- breaking into that with Philadelphia a couple of years prior, yeah. and then Forrest Gump's like, oh, he's a real actor, he's getting dramatic, but now it's kind of seeing... But oh, even with, even... like, Philadelphia and Forrest Gump, he's still the likable protagonist. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And so, but now he's kind of broken the mold. He's like, oh, I can do different things, too. And I like yeah. that this is a role he wrote for himself to play. It's like, I really want to play against Tom Hanks type. Yeah, and it, it, he did an unbelievably good job with it, which is even more impressive because, I mean, this was his first feature directing, right? Yeah. Yeah, so directing and acting starring in your own movie is not an easy thing to juggle. Yeah. And a lot of people flub it up horribly. and he did Even it, really good, talented people. Oh, yeah. It's not an easy thing to do. And the fact that he did it and did a very good job with it is super impressive. Especially when he was going outside of his usual Hank's wheelhouse. Yeah, because if he'd stayed in his comfort zone, like, other movies that I, I won't drag on in the mud right now. Um, <laughs> then it's kind of like, well, it feels almost, I mean, not to say, lazy feels like a strong word, but that's kind of what it feels like. Like, I'll write myself the easiest character in the world, so I don't have to worry about my performance, and I'll yeah. worry about everybody else's. Let's let's say less lazy, let's say easy. Easy is the right <laughs> word. Because uh, it's not, even doing your thing, it's very hard. Yes, true. Um, a lot of work uh, to make that believable. I think... Yeah, I think it's one of his better roles, for sure. Uh, we kind of talked about the writing, his, his job as a writer, just based on through our story discussions. Yeah. But a couple things I want to talk about as a director. Okay. We talked about the casting. Uh, I, I Maybe it's only one thing I really want to point out, but like, was there any visual flares or stuff that you saw as a, direct, as a visual director that you saw that interested you? See, for me, it's, it's one of those things where... It's certainly not... 
it doesn't draw attention into it. No, it's one of those movies where like uh, <clears throat> I can pair it tonality to um, I'm gonna forget the guy who did the remake of um, Hairspray, where Hairspray just kind of like it leaps off the screen, like it's everything's colorful and vibrant and great, and this movie just kind of it doesn't. But I don't think that's a bad thing because like, it's still the same sort of like, tonality of like time wise and like uh, like music wise. That's why I'm kind of comparing them in my head. Um, but this one's a little bit more muted, but I think that's on purpose. And it makes yeah. it feel a little more real. I think you're right that that's intentional. I think it works for the movie because that makes when they are performing, that's when it comes so alive. Especially at the, the last performance, like on the mm-hmm. TV thing, which is shot very much like those shows were shot. Yeah, and we're getting to see exactly yeah. how it's shot yeah. behind. It's just like the crazy culmination of it. Um, there was like a couple subtle things I noticed was when they're at uh, – Bosvick Ross's show and they're performing for the live. It's the first live show they have for Mr. White to see. Oh yeah, uh, Vic Ross, the the host of the show, is out addressing the audience. You, we cut away to the audience mm-hmm. and they're in darkness, but we kind of see their faces. Right. Once the Oneaters come out uh, and they're fucking up and like they have yeah. the mic feedback and nothing's playing and the audience hates them, we cut to the audience and it. I I, I don't know if I it, like it's just a thing that I'm noticing, but. I can't tell if it was intentional, if it was just happened to be, but it looks like the audience's faces are darker. Like, you can't see their eyes. You can see their eyes. Oh, okay. And, and I was like, that's like one of those tiny little details no one, yeah. like, I'd never noticed it before today, but I was looking specifically, like, let's look for some directing things to yeah. talk about. Um, and it's like, that's interesting, because, like, it's not, and, and actually when they cut away to Faye, and the manager, right. they're in complete light because it's like they're they're on their side. Yeah, the audience is on Vic Ross's side, the host side. When we see them, that's just why we get a little bit of light on their face. But yeah. once it's uh, the the Oneaters out there, they hate them and they're all in darkness. And I just I, thought I want to rewatch the scene now because yeah, yeah, I don't remember that at all. Uh, it was it was really cool. I thought yeah. it was a neat touch. And again, it's it's so slight that it might be like maybe I'm just reading playing into it, but. If it's, there, no, yeah. if it's there, I think I don't think you'd be wrong. No, I, no, I think I think it's there, and it's like like that. That's something that uh, I mean, sure, it could have come from the DP or something, but uh, or, or even the post, just like oh, we're gonna darken that show. Exactly, yeah, but uh, it's a really nice touch. Yeah, no, that never noticed it, but yeah. Um, and just another thing, like it, it, this plays a lot into the editing, but I feel like the scene transitions. Um, mm-hmm. There's nothing flashy about them except for like the montage ones yeah. where we're cutting from performance to radio to on the road. Right. Um, but they all feel, again, that comes down to the pacing. The editing is fantastic in this yeah. movie and I think that's a big part of the direction. Who's the editor? Good question. Who, who are we giving all this credit to and then not naming? Richard Chu. Richard Chu. Good old Richard Chu. He's fantastic. He's done... All these things. <laughs> All these things that we've mentioned so far. <laughs> but no, you're right. I mean, it's one of those, like, it's, uh, it's, there's certain movies that pull a lot of stunts with cinematography and with editing, and it's great, and they look great, and then there's other ones where it needs to fade in the background, you don't notice it, and that's almost just as hard as doing the flashy stuff, if not harder sometimes, and this movie did it phenomenally. This yeah. guy's won an Oscar. We should know who he is. Oscar-winning editor. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Richard Chu. Oscar winning. Oh, we should both be shamed. <laughs> Oscar winner editor of Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Oh! <laughs> oh God! Oh, we already made the Luke Skywalker comparison. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, he did one floor over the cuckoo's nest. Like, yeah, he's a good editor. That guy. <laughs> yeah. 
Tom Hanks hiring the best people possible <laughs> yeah. to make uh, the movie the best movie possible. That's that's the thing. Sometimes like not that Tom Hanks is less talented than this guy, but like hire people that are better than yeah. You. That's usually the, uh, the that's right the best, idea. That's the best thing you can do as a yeah. director. <laughs> I'm convinced that's the only reason Woody Allen has had so many well acted movies is like he just hires the best people. Well, and that if you put out a movie a year, sooner or later some of them are going to be very, very good. Yes, and some of them will be horrible. Well, but the, a lot of the good ones came early in his career. That's true. That's so true. he knew what he was doing a little bit. Better. Yeah, it's a little bit more sane. <clears throat> um, but now that's enough of that. We only talk about one Woody on this show. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's not that one. We mentioned that um, Giovanni Ribisi breaks his arm. Uh, I did not mention that I love uh, Steve Zan's line and that he laughs about it. Oh, what happened to him? Asshole. Just broke his arm and just breaks out laughing. <laughs> that reminds me, yeah, another, like, Steve Zan has so many crowd, crown-winning moments. Oh, yeah. Um, like, when he he tries to hit on Darlene and yep. she's not having it. It's like, fuck, I'm going to dance and kiss yeah. somebody. And he grabs the cardboard cutout. I love that. I love when he's uh, hitting on the, um, I'm forgetting her name now, the singer. And he's like, oh, I had my first... Oh, Diane Dane. Yeah, 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 I had my first moment to your album cover. My boy-girl yeah, moment. Yeah, my boy-girl moment. <laughs> <laughs> no, you were very important to me. <laughs> when is that ever going to be a good thing to yeah. say? <laughs> this movie, despite not being, like, the boldest, you know, of stories or mm. the boldest of camera work or anything, I think this is a fantastic feature film debut. Incredible performances. It's, uh, one of those, it's not even just a fantastic debut. It's just a fantastic movie. Yeah. It's like just all around. If you were going to put on the big talent show um, rating, like how would you grade this movie? Is this a you stink, a not terrible, a good, an extra good, a super, or wicked? I mean, I, I, I hate the rating system so much, but I have to go with wicked. Wicked! <laughs> That's, yeah, I, I'm going to have to agree. Like, it's not perfect, but it's there's never been a time where I've not enjoyed any frame of this movie. Yeah, I mean, it's the story is not perfect. There's some little hiccups here and there, especially at the end. But, I mean, at the end of the day, like, I'm a sucker for any movie about music. I've always loved them. It's just kind of like one of those things I like to go to. Like, uh, and this one, it's right up there with some of the best. And like, that's super impressive that it's about a, a fake band that nobody's ever heard of. And it's all these like kind of like cheesy things. But it's all in this wonderful, neat little package, and it's just fantastic. Yeah, and as a as a Hanks like point of view, this mm-hmm. is the true Hanks. It's it's so wonderful, and I love that we get to enjoy this. This is perhaps the Hanksiest movie there is, and in that way, like just the way the song is the most catchy thing to say, and mm-hmm. that the movie is just delightful to watch. It really embodies that. Like it's so likable, it's just as likable as Tom Hanks. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, um, <laughs> Tom Hanks is his own is his own review system. Considering how great of a writer and director he is here, uh, we can only hope that it continues when we return next week with Larry Crown. It doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Don't forget to listen next week for that. Follow the podcast on Twitter, at Tom Hanks Pod. Tell us what you think of that thing you do. How many times do you listen to it a day? Uh, Who's your favorite wonder? That's a good thing to get into. Absolutely. Um, it's going to be Steve Zahn yep. <laughs> by a mile. Uh, you can follow me at Elvis Kunish on Twitter and pretty much everywhere else. Brian. 
Uh, you can listen to my podcast, After the Hype, where we uh, discuss movies way, way, way after the hype, usually sometime after Blu-ray. If you want to listen um, to one on Julia's Eyes, the yep. breakout movie, yeah. <laughs> I'm on that also, one. You've been on a few, haven't you? You're on the video game The episode, video game battle one, and then... Uh, Super, uh, Super Mario Brothers. I won that one. Yeah, oh, you, spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't spoil the ending. It's so important to the episode. Super Mario Bros. Uh, and then there was one more. What was the yeah, other one? I don't remember. I know you've been on a few times. Yeah. Um... um but you can listen to us. Uh, we're on uh, row3.com slash after the hype, or you can find us on facebook.com slash after the hype, or anywhere else, usually ATH underscore podcast, or just ATH podcast, all one word. And then I'm on Twitter at YBrianY. My name is spelled with a Y. Because you just joined Twitter. <laughs> yep, because I just joined Twitter. Um, and I tweet like once a month, so it's usually good stuff if you if you catch it. And then I'm on uh, Instagram at CensorLord, Spencer spelled with a Z, and uh, I don't ever post photos to it. That's fantastic. Ever, but I have it if you want to follow it. Check it out. <laughs> All right. Uh, and before we go, I have one last question for you. Brian, when was the last time you were decently kissed? I mean truly, truly good and kissed. I'm going to go with this morning before I left for work. Aww. My wife's pretty great. Aww. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs>